lawyer by training, writer and teacher by choice. Originally from New York, I am a proud wife and mother living in Los Angeles. Join me as we delve into the Holy Torah's teachings and apply them to our lives. I keep it short and sweet, but always deep. Welcome. Hello, hello. Welcome back. I'm Jenna, and thanks for listening. We're coming up to the holiday of Shavuos, where we celebrate the giving of the Torah. And so I wanted to take this opportunity to look a little bit at the Book of Ruth, which we read on Shavuos, as well as the conditions under which the Jews accepted the Torah upon themselves at Mount Sinai, and see from these two events what we can really learn about our own amunah, our own faith, especially in times of uncertainty. Okay, so a little bit of background on Megillus Ruth, the Book of Ruth. It takes place around 1200 to 1000 BCE, and basically the Jewish people were in the land of Israel, but because we weren't doing what we were meant to be doing, we were sinning in certain ways, we incurred punishment, and so there was a famine in the land of Israel. And there was a wealthy man named Elimelech who had a wife, Naomi, and two sons. And what did he do? He picked up and left Israel for Moab to kind of live out the famine in peace and quiet. And... My teacher, Yael Dworkin of Shaviti, explains that he really evaded his life purpose. He really had such potential to be a leader of the Jewish people during this time and to help all of the people who were suffering during the famine because he had great wealth. And instead of, of staying put and, and helping his people and being a leader, he ran away and he left the land. And as a result, he died. Now, Naomi's sons married Moabite women, Ruth and Orpah. And then eventually the two sons also died before they had any children. So you can imagine Naomi's state at this point. She basically was a wealthy woman who lost her money. And now she had a husband who died and two sons who died. So she decides to go back to Eretz Israel, to the land of Israel, and her daughter-in-laws, Ruth and Orpah, follow her. But since they were converts, Naomi didn't really know if they were sincere. This again is from my teacher, Yael Dworkin. And so she was trying to, dis- to dissuade them from coming with her for any sort of like personal reason. So she tells them, go back to your land, go back to your people. What can I do for you? She says, I'm poor. I can't find you a husband. Go back. Orpa is crying along with Ruth. And what does Orpa do? She kisses her mother-in-law, Naomi, and she goes back to her people. What does Ruth do? Ruth says to Naomi, quote, Do not entreat me to leave you, to return from following you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. So may the Lord do to me. And so may he continue if anything but death separate me and you. Wow. (laughs) Okay. So she was obviously pretty determined to go with Naomi and remain part of the Jewish people. So at that point, Naomi, Naomi stopped trying to dissuade her from coming, and, and Ruth followed her back to the land of Israel. What's even more amazing about Ruth's loyalty is the fact that she was a Moabite princess. So obviously it would have been much easier for her at this point in her life, without any children, as a widow, to go back to her family, where she could enjoy a nice life of wealth and comfort and privilege, 
But that's not what she wanted. She wanted to be part of the Jewish people. And the question is why? Ruth, who was a poor convert and a widow, eventually marries a man named Boaz, and they have a child named Obed, who became the father of Jesse, Yishai, who fathered King David. So Ruth was the great-grandmother of King David, and it's through her line that the Mashiach is going to come. The Redeemer of the Jewish people is going to come, Mashiach ben David. Okay, so now I want to jump to the Mount Sinai narrative, where the Jewish people accept upon themselves the Torah. And I speak, actually, when I started this podcast around this time last year, we're coming up to the one-year anniversary of the podcast, I made an episode on Shavuos where I speak a lot about the, the whole narrative and the idea that God spoke to the Jewish people and what that means. So if you're interested in that, you can check it out. But basically, Hashem said to the Jewish people, you know, I want you to keep the Torah and you're going to be my treasured nation. And when Moshe came to the people with, with God's offer, they said, we will do and we will listen. The famous answer, Nase Venishma. We will do and we will listen. It's a, it's a curious answer because usually someone will say, well, let me hear the terms and then I'll agree. But that's not what they're saying. They're saying, we're going to do it and then we'll learn what it's about. So the Talmud tells us that upon answering this, angels actually came down and placed two crowns on each Jew's head, one for Nase and one for, for Venishma. So again, we're coming to a similar question. Where was this faith coming from that the Jewish people agreed to keep all of the Torah before they knew what it really contained? What is the connection here between Ruth telling her mother-in-law, I'm coming with you, and the Jewish people telling Hashem, we will do and then we will listen? The Jewish people saw and experienced Hashem firsthand coming out of Egypt with the splitting of the sea, and then in the revelation at Mount Sinai when Hashem came down and spoke to the Jewish people. So the Jewish people knew instinctively that whatever God wanted them to do would be correct and good in their life purpose, even if it wasn't always easy or convenient or they didn't know exactly what it entailed. This is similar to what Ruth knew instinctually. I think Ruth merited to be part of the Jewish people and the ancestor to Mashiach because she was willing to cling to her mother-in-law and the Torah way of life, even if it wasn't easy for her. Even if she didn't know exactly what it was going to entail, she knew it was the right thing. She knew it was part of her life purpose. So both Ruth and the Jewish people at Mount Sinai were willing to embrace the uncertainty because they knew they were committing to their life purpose. And it's this act, which I like to call spiritual free-falling. I had my own Nasev Vanishma moment when I was becoming more observant and I was studying at Neve. I read about this in my book that I got to a point where I had studied enough Torah and I had experienced Hashem's hands in my life enough that I said, okay, it's time that I really begin doing and I'll learn the rest as I go. And there was a certain baseline of intellectual and emotional faith that I had developed within myself that I was able to make this kind of leap of faith, this spiritual freefall. Even if I didn't know exactly where it was going to lead me, I knew in my gut that it was going to lead somewhere good, even if it didn't always feel good or easy. I think that we're faced with opportunities for this type of spiritual freefalling all the time. Another example from my own life is when I gave birth to my daughter, Rachel. It was an instance where there was nothing I could do 
except completely let go and surrender to Hashem. But what about times when it's not always clear that we need to surrender? I find that when we're confronted, or at least when I'm confronted with times of fear and uncertainty, it's very easy to get confused. We've been living here in Israel and we live in an apartment that we really love and enjoy. We really made friends where we live and and we wanted to stay here for the following year. And we thought that we'd be able to, our landlord kind of said, you know, I'm willing to, to let you stay. And then a couple of weeks ago, we get an email where he basically said, I decided I don't want to rent long term anymore. So I was very upset. It was a big blow. And around the same time, my brother, who's been living in our apartment in Los Angeles, tells us that he's probably going to move out of our apartment in Los Angeles. So looking at this from a normal perspective, obviously it it seems like the right idea to just go back to our apartment in Los Angeles. You know, we can't stay in this apartment anymore. And our apartment in Los Angeles is going to be vacant. We should go back and, and stay in our apartment there. So I was really struggling with this because obviously when we're in a place of fear, we have these like survival instincts. So obviously it's much more easy and comfortable to just go back to our home in Los Angeles, go back to what we know, go back to what's secure rather than try to find a new place here in Israel when we've already kind of become comfortable where we are. But as a week or two went on, I was thinking about it more and more and I realized, and and my husband and I realized that to to go back to Los Angeles right now, we would really feel like we were cutting our time here in Eretz Israel short. You know, this was a crazy year with Corona and we really feel like we need more time here. So once we kind of came to that conclusion that we need more time here because it's part of our life purpose and, and what we're doing here with our Torah learning and spending time in the land of Israel is, is working on ourselves and our family and we're, and we're growing in our own, in our own lives. Once we had that clarity, then everything kind of started to, to come together. So I remember I was davening a few weeks ago. I was very stressed out and anxious, um, because again, dealing with uncertainty is very hard, at least for me. And so I was davening to Hashem and I said, Hashem, this is like too much for me. (laughs) It's really too much for me. I need you to kind of like take the burden. We want to be here in Israel. Please just take the reins and and let it work out for us, please. So this is what I was praying for. We get a call from a man in our building who tells us that he's interested in renting his apartment for next year. And thank God his apartment is a great apartment and it's actually in a lot of ways better suited for us than the apartment we're in now. And so when he came over to, to kind of make the agreement and discuss all the terms, he mentioned that at, toward the end of the meeting that they only decided recently to move. They've been living in Jerusalem for 12 years and it was like so stressful for him because he has a lot of other stuff going on. And he said he was davening to Hashem that Hashem should just take the reins. Hashem, he said, Hashem, it's too much for me. Please just take over and, and let this be easy for us. And I, I looked at him, I said, I can't believe it. I, li- I literally was praying for the same thing at the same time. So I think once we have clarity that we're doing the right thing, that's all we can do at any given moment. And the rest is up to Hashem. So when we know that we're doing the right thing, we need to just let go and let Hashem guide us. This is spiritual free falling. This is what the Jews did at Mount Sinai, and this is what Ruth did when she was walking with her mother-in-law, Naomi, and this is what we must learn to do as well. 
And I think a big part of this, a big part of spiritual free-falling is humility, which I also speak about in, in last year's podcast on Shavuos, really getting out of our own way. Because when we can get over our ego and our fear and our doubts, and we can just ask ourselves, what is the right thing here? What does Hashem want from me? Is this part of my life purpose? Once we have that clarity, then we can go forth with strength, knowing that whatever else happens is up to Hashem. Now that the time of Shavuos is upon us, we have an opportunity on the Jewish calendar to tap into this energy of reaccepting the Torah. Not because it's always easy or convenient, because it's not, <laughs> but because it's the truth. It's the reason we're here as a people. And when we accepted the Torah at Mount Sinai and those crowns were placed on our head for Nasev and Ishma, we became a holy people, a real holy people of royalty. And I was, I was reflecting on this idea of royalty. Royalty isn't just, you know, being rich and, and getting to do what you want. It's not at all. It, it's a life of service. I mean, if you look at Kate and William, I'm sure that they would prefer a life of more privacy. But they're stepping up into their royal roles that they were created for. And they're giving themselves to the public in the, in the ways that they can. And this is what it means to be royal. This is, this is who we are. We have to accept upon ourselves that we have a holy mission here and we have to step into that. And when we're able to embrace our role as holy Jewish people and servants of Hashem, when we're able to embrace this and do the right thing at each moment to the best of our, our ability, not knowing where life will lead us, but trusting that we're in the hands of Hashem, then we can have inner peace that even though we feel like we're falling, we're always always really being caught and carried in the hands of Hashem. I can't help but think about how it really is a form of spiritual free-falling living here in Israel now with, with everything going on, with, um, with the rockets that are, that are raining down on Israel and the attacks. And as long as we have clarity that we're meant to be here, at least I'm speaking for myself, and I think this is what's going on, how people are able to keep living normal lives under these conditions, you know, if you have clarity, this is my home, this is where I'm meant to be, and I'm doing everything I can to be safe, then it doesn't really make much sense to run around in fear because at the end of the day, we know that God forbid something happens to somebody, it was destined by Hashem anyway. And so Hashem's holding us, Hashem's carrying us. So I definitely feel this is a sort of spiritual free falling, even just existing here in the day to day right now, walking around with, with the faith and trust, or trying to anyway. <laughs> that God is holding us and with us and protecting us. B'zorah Hashem, please God. So to sum up, we're in the time now of Shavuos, where we have an opportunity to really re-accept the Torah upon ourselves. And in doing so, we have a moral compass. We have a guide. So that at any given moment, we know, am I doing the right thing? Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? And if we're doing that, then we can have inner peace and we can kind of let go and let Hashem take care of the rest, which is really ultimately out of our control anyway. So I'm wishing you a Chag Sameach. We should all be safe and have a good Shavuos. Take care. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please subscribe to the podcast and share. And if you could write a review on Apple Podcasts, I would be so grateful. Take care.